What's up, guys and girls? Welcome back to On The Bat Bar podcast. It's me, Chris. I uh, hope you're all doing well. Today's guest, we have Paul Matthew, uh, who is the founder of Everleaf Drinks. Now, Everleaf Drinks is a really cool product, um, which has just sort of been around for a short time. Um, it's a natural non-alcoholic aperitif. Um, I think the bottles and brandings look amazing. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm so excited to get my hands on a bottle. Um, it looks great, and I think he's really opening up the category of what Nolo is. Um, so we talk about this amazing product, how to use it, you know, how to make even a, a non-alcoholic menu, which is something I always struggle with. And um, you know, I think what's great about this product is the versatility of it. As he mentions that a number of well-known bars around uh, London are, are sort of using it in cocktails as well as Nolo drinks. So uh, Paul's a great guy. He's been in the industry for a while. He's also the co-owner and, and operator of Free great bars in London, uh, which are Hyde Bar, The Arbitrager, and Demon and Wise. So I really suggest to go check all three of them out um, because they're doing some really inventive stuff like uh, cocktails on tap. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a cool interview. Paul's a great guy, um, super interesting. And I think he's got a lot to give with Everleaf Drinks. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this brand grows uh, and takes on the world. Enjoy. Uh, please go check out Paul. Um, show notes show his Instagram page and his website so you can follow that. And yeah, once again, guys, give us a like, subscribe, share, um, tell everyone in the industry about this. Please go check out my Facebook group, uh, which is Beverage Network. Link is in the show notes. Uh, I'm literally basically just sharing everything that goes on with me. Uh, and I also highlight a member every week. Uh, so yeah, if you're active on Facebook, please join in. Um, be happy to sort of uh, talk to you there. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Stay safe. Let's roll the intro. Benjamin Franklin once said, in wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Bad Bar Podcast. I hope you're all keeping well. Today, we have Paul Matthew joining us from London, who is the founder of Everleaf Drinks and co-owner of free uh, sites in London as well. So, we've got lots to talk about today. We were just saying that you've been pretty busy with London Cocktail Week, or you had a short sort of uh, excerpt around there. How's it all been? Um, it's been great. It's one of my favorite times of the year, actually. The, the London Cocktail Week team always put on an amazing event and it's it's great for the on trade and it's, it's great for everleaf um so I, yeah i always love whizzing around and catching as many people as possible good stuff well thank you so much for joining us on the show today uh, i think it's going to be pretty interesting because um i yeah i've never had anyone on the show who talks about non-alcoholic uh, drinks or aperitifs so i've had a look at everleaf drinks and i love the branding i know it's quite a recent change to branding as well um tell us a bit about Everleaf and how that all started, because I'm, I'm sure it's a pretty interesting story. Sure. Um, okay. I, I kind of tell this differently each time and I need to try and get my points right. But um, 
really going way back i'm i'm a conservation biologist by academic background um, and my dad's a botanist so i spent a lot of time working for conservation charities and working predominantly on plants and, and how people use plants and the sustainable use of plants so that's kind of like the backstory if you like um but more recently i'm a bar owner i used to be a conservation biologist who worked in bars um, and then i had an opportunity about 16 years ago to, to open my own place um, so we opened the Hyde 15 years ago now on London's Bermondsey Street. Um, but I've always wanted to kind of bring those two worlds together. Uh, and I guess about three years ago, we started to see a lot more of our customers wanting low and low options. Um, so I saw that as an opportunity to try and bring those two things together um, and worked for about a year um, testing various plants uh, to get a non-alcoholic alternative that I felt was, was something we could proudly offer our customers. So that's, that's how Everleaf was born. And we launched January 2019 with the first product. Um, and then, as you say, we had a rebrand last year and launched two new products as part of that. So that's been the, the kind of journey that we've been on with Everleaf. Brilliant. And I guess um, your time being a conservation biologist must have really helped the product and sort of um, the understanding of how to create it. Is that right? Um, yeah, to an extent. I think my... My kind of my interest in the drinks industry partly grew from all the places I was traveling to and all the environments I was working in and the, and the drinks people were making there. And they became really interlinked in my head. I mean, I had projects in Brazil and was tasting Cabrinhas up and down the coast. I had projects um, across the Caribbean and was tasting different bitters in jars on bar tops. I had a project in Vietnam and there were loads of things in jars there with, with various infusions and um, I was tasting Pisco Sours in Chile and, and all this kind of thing. So to me, the, the place and the environments I was working in became very synonymous with the, the drinks that I was trying. Um, and I think when we, when we opened the hide, we wanted to try and tell that story of drinks from around the world and get people to taste a little bit outside their comfort zone and to try new things. Um, but for me, that kind of interaction between the habitats I was working in and the, and the drinks I was drinking is, is a very um, emotive one and something that I've tried to draw on with Everleaf. Brilliant. And so it's, it's born from the on-trade, which is pretty good as well. Um, so tell us about, because I think this is such a big topic now, and there's many products on the market, which is great because maybe, uh, you know, from my own experience of, of designing menus, that was always the last bit that I just didn't want to do the non-alcoholic section. So it's, um, I think with these products on the market now, you've sort of made that so much easier because um, you have these amazing liquids that people can use. So can you tell us more about each of the products and sort of um, the, the story of how it came to be and, and sort of what type of ingredients go in there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, as a bartender, I, I wanted these to be the interesting flavors that you would actually be drawn to as a bartender and not just a, a non-alcoholic version of something we already had. Um, I want people to be able to use these however they want. So I've been delighted that bartenders are using them in alcoholic cocktails as well as non-alcoholic drinks, because to me that shows that people value what's in them and, and they offer something something unique uh, and, and interesting flavours. So I guess that's the first part of it. Um, but we do reference kind of categories for consumers to be able to work out roughly what to do with them. So we have three products. We have Forest, which is um, what we originally launched with, which is bittersweet and earthy. Um, we talk about them having a beginning, a middle and an end. So if you like, they're a, 
they're a journey through the environment we name on the bottle. So forest goes from um, floral aromatics. We've got things like orange blossom. There's a little bit of vetiver on there. Um, and that's like the canopy of the forest. And then as we travel down, we've got the, the barks and the spices. So we've got vanilla and cassia, um, the cinnamon, things like that. Um, and then as you get down to the forest floor, you've got all those earthy, bittersweet roots. Um, so we have gentian root and uh, licorice root, um, angelica root, things like that. So um, that's the kind of bittersweet, earthy one. Uh, and we have mountain, which um, draws heavily from, from my time living in Asia, actually. It's got uh, fermented cherry blossom as one of the key botanicals. Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of cherry blossom and rose hip. Um, there's some wormwood in there, uh, a little bit of strawberry. So it's it's more kind of um, vermouth style flavor profile. And that's the the journey up this mythical mountain from the, the cherry blossoms in full flower at the bottom to, to cold rose hips, um, stopping off at some some wormwood on, on route. Um, and that, that's a kind of pink color representing the alpine glow that reflects off the mountain. Uh, and then finally, we've got marine. Um, which, as you can guess, is a journey from sea to coast. Um, so we use a couple of different seaweeds in that. It has a lot of umami flavors. Um, it's more a gin profile. We call it kind of crisp and refreshing. Um, so the seaweeds give umami. There's a little bit of sea salt in there. And then as you go from the sea, from swimming amongst those kelp forests to lying back on the beach, you've got flavors of bergamot. Uh, you've got a little bit of um, pine and eucalyptus. You've got some thyme and then olive leaf for bitterness as well. So they're kind of um, journeys in my head through these ecosystems, drawing on the flavors and the plants that grow in them to give, uh, give products that have this, this beginning, middle and end that tell a story of flavor. I mean, they all sound delicious. Um, so I'd like to hear about how it all kind of came to be. And you know, how do you make these non-alcoholic aperitifs? Are they distilled? And was there a lot of sort of testing and trial and error at the beginning? Um, there's an awful lot of testing and trial and error. Um, I think when we launched or when I was developing them three and a half years ago, um, there weren't a lot of non-alcoholic products in the market. Obviously, Seedlit was leading the way with that um, and a few others had started to launch, but there weren't a lot of people doing it. And um, it's very different to traditional distillation and, and making a gin or anything else for that matter. Um, so they're actually blended more like perfumery so that the initial process for me was working out the best way to extract all the different flavors. And, and I was dehydrating plants and grinding them up and um, pressure cooking them and, and sous vide cooking them and all this kind of thing to work out the best way of getting the, the flavors I wanted. Um, now we work with, with partners to, to get those. So they're all produced in different ways because otherwise I'd have to have a distillery with, with pot stills and vacuum stills and um, steam distillation um, and, and all sorts of different ways of extracting the flavors. So um, it, it's more a case of blending those for us. But to take an example in forests, we have um, saffron and vanilla, which are a traditional alcoholic maceration. Um, we've got some fennel, which is a vacuum distillation. We've got uh, all various things that are copper pot distilled and then yeah, all, all sorts of different things. And we've got better steam distilled. So it's a case of working out the best way of getting the best from the ingredient and then blending those together. And the other key bit we, we had to work on was texture as well. Um, because I, yeah, 
I wanted something that had texture and mouthfeel and, and complexity. I feel that's an important part of what makes a drink. As a bartender, we're always looking at that, whether it's tannins in wine or whether it's the temperature we serve our martini at or whether we shake it or stir it or whether we make a sour with egg white or aquafaba. It's, it's a really important component of a drink. Um, so we use a couple of different things to add texture and weight and mouthfeel to Everleaf. So we use um, gum acacia, as, as you traditionally do for a gum syrup, but um, in decent quantities to add this kind of silky mouthfeel to it. Uh, and then we use carrageenan from seaweed to add more weight and, and complexity to the palate. Wow, okay. Um, and it's obviously clearly well received because I've seen it in a number of uh, high-profile bars. What's been the best serve you've seen or the, or the tastiest sort of concoction you've had so far with it? Oh, wow. Um, I've tried so many. Um, <laughs> even over London Cocktail Week, I mean, we're, we're in over, over 30 bars around London for London Cocktail Week. So it's, it's been amazing to see how people are using it and, and in very different ways from, from short sours and, and kind of Negroni-style drinks through to spritzes, which, we, which is what we traditionally recommend as the signature serve. Um, oh, what are the best ones? I don't know. Um, one that always springs to mind is actually an alcoholic one that's, that's served at the, the Blue Bar at the Barclay, um, oh. which is a, a marine martini with Plymouth and um, an Everleaf Marine adding the vermouth component, which has a great kind of umami seaweediness and then uses a little bit of one of the Capriolus eau de vies in there as well. So um, just deliciously complex and really captures that kind of marine um, seaside martini flavour. Wow, okay. Um, but we've got loads. I mean, the Hyde, we serve uh, an Everleaf Forest Spritz on draft, um, which is really popular with our customers there. Um, something about being able to pour a spritz on draft that, that really draws people in, I think. Yeah, that's pretty unique, actually. I do like that. And, you know, obviously, so you mentioned about uh, being in Hyde, and I guess you must serve in all, all three of your sites. Um, tell us about some of the bars you have and, and sort of how they came to be as well. And I know it's been a really sort of tough 18 months for everyone. So I've been trying to stay away from this conversation of uh, the pandemic, but um, I'd really like to hear about these bars because all three look very different in terms of what they offer, um, but all look really cool as well. Um, thanks. Yeah. The, I mean, the first was the Hyde Bar on Bermondsey Street. So we're, we're underneath the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. So we've, we've had great connections to the industry from, from day one. Brilliant. Um, and uh, about three years ago, we moved that over to being um, London ingredients only. So all our products there are fermented, brewed or distilled in London. Uh, so we have great relationships with distilleries in London and, and the local brewers uh, and even some London winemakers and London sake makers, uh, everything from from absinthe through to whiskey now. Um, and we have reasonably high volume there. So we've got a whole draft cocktail system as well as, as well as the regular cocktails. Then um, it was about oh, eight years after that, we opened uh, the Arbitrager and Demon and Wise and Partners in the city of London. Um, and the Arbitrager is also that, that Drink London model of, of working with London distributors or London suppliers and, and brewers. Uh, whereas Demon and Wise is more of a, a basement cocktail bar with all the, the kind of luxurious darkness and, and whiskies and rums that go with that. So that's our kind of little passion project in the basement where we can use whatever we want. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds great. I, I, I'm probably going to be coming to London, I think, December time. So I'm trying to uh, 
figure out the plan to, to visit all these amazing bars. I'm going to tick them off for yours as well. And Excellent. Well, it'd be great to host you. But yeah, obviously we, we've had challenges over the course of lockdown um, as yeah. the whole industry has. And it's been, been a really um, challenging and stressful 18 months. <laughs> but we've, we've come out of it okay. Um, we're starting to see the trade bounce back. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's a slightly unknown time at the moment because we've, we've lost all the support that we had in terms of furlough and, and things like that. Um, so now we're just waiting to see where things settle out and how people's drinking patterns have changed. And um, it's a bit different in the city. I think Thursday's bigger, bigger than it was and Friday's quieter than it was. People are coming in, working in town on a Thursday and then working from home again on a Friday. But yeah. We, we've made it through at least we're still alive that's good yeah i mean it, yeah it's very strange isn't it it's sort of we're going into the new normal one unfortunately there's a lot of places that closed down we're, we're still struggling over in thailand um i mean one thing i did hear is there there's now a big shortage of hospitality stuff have you felt the brunt of that as well um absolutely i mean it's it's always been hard to find find people um but it's it's really quite challenging at the moment. I mean, we've been lucky in that most of our team have stayed with us, um, and I think we we've always paid a little bit above industry rates, and we we pay London living wage, and we give all our service charge to our team and things like that. So, as as employers in the sector go, I think we we've been quite good at retention, um, but we are putting up all the salaries and um, and still looking for people all the time. So. Yeah, it's it's hugely challenging at the moment to find people, and it's it's such a shame to see the sector struggling in this way when really good venues and and really good jobs are going, and we can't find people for them. Yeah, totally. And and you mentioned about people's drinking habits as well. And I guess uh, would you say that maybe more people are starting to drink from home because they're so used to it now? Uh, I think people definitely got very used to drinking at home i mean conversely it was it was great for everleaf because after a few a few weeks of people drinking every night at home and thinking oh we don't have to go into work <laughs> um i think people realized that it wasn't necessarily sustainable and we we had reasonably good sales in lockdown for everleaf because i think people were wanting that that moment of relaxation and that moment of um marking the end of the day and the switch to to home time by having a drink but realized it couldn't be alcohol every night. So um, Everleaf offers that kind of, that great tasting moment, um, even when you're not planning to have alcohol. So so that was was reasonably good for Everleaf because at the start of lockdown, we were 80% on trade. So we were very concerned that we were suddenly gonna have no business whatsoever, but we were able to, to pivot as became a much overused word during lockdown. Yeah. And now that the on-trade is going back, we're, we're trying to keep all those channels going um, and, and keep everything up there, which is the, now the challenge we have. Yeah, it definitely has been tough. And I, I imagine for the product as well, especially with 80% of your business, right? So that's crazy. But it's good that people were starting to pick up from home too. Um, I mean, well, it's like we said, it's been tough for everyone. I'm trying to sort of... Uh, be more positive and, and talk less about COVID. It seems to be every episode now. But, um, well, I guess it's really relevant to you there. And, and yeah, Thailand's had such a challenging time, hasn't it? Totally, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I won't go into it, but 
it's unfortunately alcohol is um, a bit frowned upon in Thailand. We still do have a ban, and it always tends to be the first thing that gets blamed whenever something goes wrong. Um, so yeah, bars in Thailand are struggling a lot. Um, we, you know, we, we're doing what we can to support each other, but hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel because we're getting tourism back uh, apparently from November. Um, so hopefully the government will ease restrictions as well. But um, we'll see. Yeah, I mean the UK has certainly eased them, and the the floodgates seem to be opening and things get really busy so i'm really hoping that that will happen for you guys as well we've certainly seen the entree bouncing bouncing right back in the uk and um i think london cocktail week's going to be a great release for everybody and and attract loads of people back into bars definitely so let's talk about everleaf drinks and where people can find it around the world is it global yet are we in lots of markets um i wouldn't say lots but we're in um netherlands and norway iceland uh, we're just going into some bits of France. Um, we've got a Belgian distributor. We're in Switzerland. I'm trying to see if that's if I covered everybody off now. <laughs> um, but we, we haven't gone into any big international markets in, in Asia or Australia or the US yet. I think we're kind of trying to get everything right. And um, it's, been, it's been a challenge to reach capacity as well. I mean, these things are, are new products in terms of production and there aren't that many places that can make them well and reliably and, and effectively. Um, we have to be very mindful of, of safety and best before dates and things like that, which um, obviously you don't have to worry about quite so much with alcoholic products that are naturally sterile. So there've been lots of production challenges that we've had to overcome as well. Well, it yeah, I can imagine. So quality is obviously quite an important thing for you. Um, other than getting that right, what other challenges have you faced with launching a product, I guess, a new one? Um, well, I mean, when you're coming from the bar environment and you, you make stuff for the bar each week, um, it seems reasonably straightforward. And if you want to come up with a new product, you just make it and you, you serve it the next day. Mm. Um, I think what I've had to, to get to grips with is the whole supply chain and planning and production and best before dates and um, making sure that your product can sit on a shelf for 12 months and still be okay at the end of it. So that's that's been a big kind of eye-opening part of the process for me. Um, but certainly uh, supply chain, we've had plenty of COVID-related supply chain issues. <laughs> You'll have heard all the, yeah. all the stuff from cardboard through to carbon dioxide these days. Um, so there's been all that to contend with. Um, but I think getting the branding right was a, uh, a really significant one. We, we launched in a totally different bottle with a different label. Um, and then when we, when we launched the next two products, we had a total rebrand and, and had a look at what we'd learned from the original launch and um, chose a different bottle and totally redesigned the label and, and how we talked about the product um, based on the feedback that we got from the first year. Yeah. I mean, really, I like the branding. It's spot on. Um, I think the bottles look good, and I love the idea you've got these three products you, which sort of um, encompass the lands or the sort of uh, origin of where they are. So I think you got that right. What other, I mean, maybe this is a good question. So I imagine that you're in a place where you sort of feel comfortable, and obviously there's a lot more to do, but you are growing now. What do you think have been sort of the key uh points that you've had to focus on or what advice would you give to maybe other people wanting to launch a product? Um, well, I think, I think you need to kind of have a good chat to somebody like me and, and ask about all the, 
the hurdles we've had to overcome. I mean, definitely go in with your eyes open. It's a bit like opening a bar. You, you, you need to know all the background stuff that's going to end up costing you a lot of money because it's, it's never as straightforward as you think. Um, but yeah, I think, let me see. I mean, there are so many unknowns when you go into these things and, and so many costs that you don't anticipate from the, the shipping through to the marketing. Um, and it's, it's been a, a case of learning every step, but you just have to embrace it and, and jump in with both feet and commit to doing it. I think it's just one of those things. You never start a business if you look to all the different problems that you are likely to face because it would be too daunting so I think I've done that with with both the bars and Everleaf it's just like right I'm going to do this let's let's go for it <laughs> and um, <laughs> bit of learning on the job no that's great and why let me ask why did you want to start a non-alcoholic aperitif um because I think it's quite a unique thing to go down uh, obviously loads of bar experience but was there something you saw that was missing in the industry that needed yeah it was definitely something that I felt was missing from non-alc. Um, we, we had things that kind of sat in the gin part of the, the flavor profile, um, but you can't just bartend with gin. So I wanted something else that was able to add some of the things we were missing. So bitterness was a key one for me, but also that texture, as I said. So it, it wasn't out there. So I thought, well, let's, let's make it. And we had such a great reception for it at the Hyde that um, that gave us the kind of... the the impetus and the, um, the kind of confidence to be able to actually launch it. Um, and for me, aperitif is a, such a wonderful category and I didn't really want to call it a spirit because I'm still kind of not, I don't think we've quite worked out where non-alcoholic sits. Um, I would like it to all be a bit blurrier. I mean, I don't like this kind of alk and non-alk because lots of people use, use Everly, for example, as they would uh, a vermouth or a, a Namaro or something like that. So I, I kind of like that they are within the category of aperitifs. They just happen to be non-alcoholic. I, I don't want them to be just about being non-alcoholic. I want them to be great products in their own right. So that's, um, for me, I, I just like there to be a spectrum of full strength alcohol through to no alcohol and the products all just taste, taste delicious. And it's not all about having a, oh, you're not drinking. You need to go to this part of the menu. Just sometimes you want to drink stronger and sometimes you don't want to drink as much. And, and I think that's where we found that um, our customers come from that as well. They're not people that don't drink. They're people that really like drink. They, they really like quality alcoholic products and they really like quality non-alcoholic products. Um, so we can support them whether they want to start the evening with a martini and then have a non-alcoholic thing before they finish the evening on, a, on an old-fashioned or whatever it might be. Mm, fantastic. So, yeah, I feel like you've kind of really opened up the category um, and clearly needed. So... Here's something I've, I've been thinking. So like I mentioned before, I, I always struggled with my non-alcoholic section and uh, it was always maybe a bit limited. But what advice would you give to maybe bartenders or bar managers uh, in terms of designing a non-alcoholic section? Um, well, I, I think don't think of it as a non-alcoholic section. Just think of it as any, any other drink that you're having to make and take as much care and attention over it as, um, as anything else you make. Uh, there are loads of products now available. I, I know I should be banging the drum for Everleaf, but there, there's a huge variety of non-alc out there in the market now. Um, and so try some. Um, there, there are things that fit most of the flavor profiles that you have with alcohol. So experiment and, and make sure that you build out the, 
the non-alc section just as you would the alcoholic section with short drinks and long drinks and fruity drinks and bitter drinks and thing, things to cater for all palates because there are a lot of customers out there that don't want to drink strong alcohol all the time. So I think what we're finding with loads of venues is that um, bartenders can be a little surprised at how popular they are <laughs> mm. because we're, we're so used to living in the world of alcohol that maybe we don't, don't necessarily appreciate quite how many consumers are out there just to have a great tasting experience and enjoy what they're, what they're drinking. And not, it's not about the necessarily the consumption of alcohol, it's about the drinking experience and the flavors. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I can see you're probably, I mean, flavor is quite a big thing for you. Uh, obviously, you've got these amazing products with incredible ingredients, but you also, I mean, High Bar is about distilled and fermented drinks, and you mentioned about uh, cocktails on tap. Do you, where did this sort of level of experimentation come from? I think I naturally just enjoy it. I love yeah. the, the MPD side of things and developing new stuff and playing with flavors. And um, But most of all, I, I like keeping our guests happy. And so to to work out the best way of doing that is, is where some of this stuff's come from. I mean, um, the, the London thing, it's great to support all the lo- local London, London distilleries and breweries and um, customers love that they can know exactly where it's come from and it hasn't traveled very far and that we can tell them the story of the distillery. Um, the draft cocktail thing came about more because just the volumes that we were doing meant that it enables us to serve consistent products quickly. So um, if somebody wants to sit at the bar and have a cocktail lovingly made for them over a few minutes, then that's great. But if they're also just sitting down with friends and they all want cocktails quickly, we can now do that really effectively. And I think draft cocktails have been been really important for that. So it's yeah, it's about just playing around and working out what works best for you and what can deliver the best experience for the guests. Mm. Can you tell me about one of the draft cocktails? Um, sure, we've we've got a draft espresso martini, for example. Nice. Okay. Um, so that was a, a long process with the team of, of trialing and error um, to work out how long we needed to, to get the nitrogen to diffuse in it. Um, so we have a, a nitro system for that in the cellar, but also how to how to get the right texture for that and how to get the, the head staying there properly after pouring and all this kind of thing. So um, there's quite a lot that goes into the development of these products. And a lot of bartenders have, have now had the experience of that working on um, canned and, and RTD cocktails over, over lockdown to support their bars while they've been closed. Um, so it is a, yeah, it's quite a process to get them exactly spot on. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. I think the espresso martini sounds like a perfect one for for a draft cocktail. So we- it was so popular, you just end up making so many. But it was uh, an ideal one to have on draft. Definitely. Um, well, I mean, we're like we said, we're, we're sort of hopefully coming into uh, brighter lights now, and, and things might be getting better. Um, but what's next for you guys? What are you planning over the next couple of years? Um, well, as far as the bars go, I don't think we'll be opening anywhere else right at the minute. I mean, there's, there's loads of opportunity, but I think we're just exhausted by the last 18 months. So I think personally, we'll, we'll wait a little bit um, and just see how things pan out. But for Everleaf, we're, we're growing in new markets. Um, I think we're, we're heading into Germany next. So that'll be a big one for us. Um, continuing to work on the products. And I don't think any of them are, are finished. I think we can improve 
whether that's on the sourcing and making sure that all the botanicals are sustainably sourced and telling the stories of those, or whether it's working to, to improve the, the consistency and stability and, and the flavor of, of all the products. And I'm very much of the opinion that you should always strive to, to make them a little bit better if you can. So that's always an ongoing one. Um, and yeah, just, just seeing where it will take us, to be honest. I mean, I'm not sure what the future's got in store for Everleaf, but um, it's been a, an amazing couple of years so far. So we look forward to seeing what the next one brings. Well, congratulations so far. And we wish you all the best for the future. And and if you ever want to come to Thailand, let, let me know. I'll help you out. Well, we've got a few I would more. love to. <laughs> we've got a few more questions before we go. Uh, maybe this will be a good one. Um, what do you normally drink at home? Is, is Everleaf on the menu like every night or are you a little bit more ambitious <laughs> oh absolutely I, I love using everleaf i i use it quite a bit in low abv versions of things mm. um so i love like a negroni using mountain instead of the gin so it adds that kind of cherry blossom vermouthiness to it and makes the whole thing a lot less alcoholic um we do drink spritzes as well but i've also got a, a pretty wide selection of, of drinks at home as well so um I think I just like different things. I like to not drink the same thing every night. So I've got a huge range of stuff here and I like experimenting at home. And um, for me, the excitement is all about tasting new things. So I'm always delighted when, when I get a new product to try. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, um, how can people get in contact with you, Paul? Um, I'll put all the sort of details in the show notes, but if someone in London wants to reach out to you and taste the products... Sure. I mean, just, just drop us a line. Um, I'm Paul Everleaf Drinks and um, Everleaf Pool on social media channels. And I'm always, always happy to help. Um, we've, we've got some sales reps for, for Everleaf as well. So I'm sure we can manage to get somebody to come around and see wherever you are in the UK. Um, and I'm more than happy to put people in touch with our distributors in other countries. Um, like I say, we've we've had an amazing reception in in bars and restaurants, so can always direct people to their their nearest stockist to go and have a, a taste. Um, I absolutely love tasting the the latest draft cocktail at Taylor and Elementary that has Everleaf in uh, mm. for London Cocktail Week the other day. So there are some great venues that that stock us that list us and go and see what people are doing with it. Fantastic. Paul, thank you so much for your time. For the audience, please look at the show notes. Uh, grab yourself a bottle of Everleaf. It does look good. I'll be looking to get one myself. Um, thanks very much, mate, for coming on the show. And, and, you know, well done for getting through all that sort of tough 18 months and sort of pushing through. And we wish you all the best for the future with it. Well, all the best for you as well. I hope, um, hope Bangkok and Thailand are, are a, a bit more friendly to, to bars and restaurants shortly. And um, let's hope that we're out of the woods now and things start to improve. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. Talk soon. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you so much for listening to the show, guys. Uh, we are available on Spotify, iTunes, and all other major podcast providers. Your support helps my show grow, and I love you for listening. So thank you so much. If you want to be a part of it even more, please look at the show notes. You can find links to our Facebook group, The Beverage Network. You can also find links to my Patreon page where you can help the show grow even further with small donations. And you can also find my email where you can reach me anytime with any questions. You guys are amazing. I love this industry. Let's keep it growing. Thank you for listening to On The Bad Bar.